Hey, quick note before this episode kicks off. If you're a regular listener to TOEFOP, TOEFOP with friends, two guys, one cup, or philosophy, then we're asking for your help. We want to keep the show free, and that means occasionally throwing some ads in. This is so we can pay our bills for important things like, you know, questionable art by James Fosdyke. Yeah, but we don't want to support businesses that you don't care about anyway. That'd be annoying for you, it's bad for us, and it's useless for the advertiser. So what we're asking is to get a bit of info from you that'll help inform the sort of brands we work with. Yeah, the survey is quick, and everyone who does it goes in the draw to win 100 bucks. Well, a $100 gift voucher anyway. I mean, that's still more than we get for this podcast. Your input will help us work with the right brands and keep the show free. There's a link to this survey in the episode description. It closes soon. Thanks heaps. A listener production. Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And today's episode is with Ben Jenkins. Very funny guy, Ben Jenkins. Super interesting as well. Ben has worked with so many people that I've had on uh philosophy recently and i honestly thought going into this that's what we'd probably talk about all those connections all those stories instead because uh, ben is just such a fascinating guy we start talking about the world and we talk about the world for a couple of hours which is what i like to do on this podcast so this is a rip i hope you enjoy it uh yes recorded a couple of months ago uh, i banked a whole bunch of episodes of philosophy before question everything started uh, if you don't know what Question Everything is, it is a comedy panel show I make on the ABC, and uh, I would love to continue to make it. So the best way you can support that is to uh, tell your friends about it. Watch it on ABC iView. Go to ABC iView. Watch this series of Question Everything. It features a whole bunch of people who have been previous philosophy guests. Jan Fran, of course, is my regular co-host. Uh, Kirsty Wiebeck, Mel Buttle. Durul Jayasena, uh, Mark Humphreys, who else has been on the show this year? Uh, I mentioned Alex Lee. Did I mention Alex Lee? Alex Lee, uh, Reese Nicholson, Zoe Coombsma, so many funny people who have all been previous philosophy guests as well. So you can check them out both on this podcast in the archives or on Question Everything on the ABC. Uh, I'm also doing some live touring, particularly of my show, What You Talking About, Will, which is my improvised stand-up show. I've been doing... Some in Newcastle, which have been absolutely brilliant fun. I've added some shows in January, January the 17th, 18th and 19th. Friday the 19th is already sold out. Wednesday the 17th, only about 10 tickets left. Thursday the 18th, still still plenty of tickets available to that one, but uh, they are going pretty quick. So if you want to come and see me do a show in Newcastle, what you're talking about, Will, my improvised show, getting quick for that. Uh, Sydney, I've also added two shows at the Comedy Store 1 is Saturday the 20th of January, which is uh, selling pretty well already. Oh, am I doing – I'm doing the 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th. I've just realized that. Four days in a row of my improvised show. Man, that's – oh, you've got to go to that one on Saturday the 20th of January. But before that, Saturday the 2nd of December – at the Sydney Comedy Store, my final What You Talking About Will for the year, uh, probably my final live gig for the year. So if you would like to come along to that, uh, I would love to see you there. There are still plenty of tickets available for that. So that's Saturday afternoon, the 2nd of December. What You Talking About Will at the Sydney Comedy Store. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, oh, uh, so I have another podcast. It's called Tofop. We've been doing some Tofop live shows if you would like to hear those recorded uh uh, well if you'd like to come to one and you're in sydney you can do that at the comedy store uh that is in a couple of weeks there are still a couple of tickets available for that one if you would like to come along special guest gareth reynolds so that's going to be uh 
super fun. Uh, but also, if you've never listened to TOEFOP or TOEFOP with friends or Two Guys, One Cup, our AFL podcast, or Two Guys, One Urn, uh, like there's so many – I started to stumble because it's like about another nine podcasts that Charlie Clawson and I do together. It's been a bit annoying over the years because all those podcasts are in different places. Well, over the last year, we've been trying to do something about that. We've been trying to consolidate everything into one universe and we are getting closer to doing that. What does that mean for regular listeners to philosophy? Not much really. If you are subscribed to this channel, uh, all you're going to do is uh, get some bonus content in here. Uh, I will reveal more when it is time to reveal more, but you don't have to do anything differently. If you're a philosophy fan and you like getting the regular episodes of philosophy, just stay tuned to this channel. There may be uh, a little branding change, a little name change to the channel, but if you're subscribed to this channel, if you're signed up to this channel, uh, then uh, everyone relax. Everything is going to be fine. Uh, you don't have to do anything. You're not going to lose anything. Philosophy is staying. In fact, this is a way that philosophy can stay more regularly. Um, but there will there'll also be some bonus content. I can't give too much away at the moment. And now I'm starting to just flounder in this little plug. So that's enough. That's a little sneak peek. Changes coming. All good changes. You don't really have to do anything. Stay subscribed. Tell your friends about it. Thanks for listening to the podcast and enjoy this episode with Ben Jenkins. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. It's pretty simple. Who are you? Uh, hi, uh, hello. <laughs> hello, you're hello. Oh, you fucked it. All right. <laughs> Sorry, it's like Graham Norton's big red chair. You're out. <laughs> oh, well, this was fun, mate. Thanks so much yeah. for having me. Well, lots um, of become a real survivor. <laughs> like, I've brought in a game no, show element. If you're fucking at the first hurdle, you're out. No, I like it. Um, yeah. I'm, my, name is, my name is Ben Jenkins. Uh, and I'm currently, I, know, I know it's tedious when parents talk about this, but I'm currently on two hours sleep. <laughs> Which is why I briefly thought my name was Hello. <laughs> That's good though, man. It's like you're at some sort of sales conference where, you know, they have those little paper tags that always say hello <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. your name underneath. I just forgot so, to write my name down. <laughs> yeah. So you're just hello. Well, it's yeah. nice to have you, Ben Jenkins. Yeah, so... Not many hours sleep, which is a state no. that parents and Nina Oyama tend to come onto this <laughs> podcast in, <laughs> probably yeah. for different reasons, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, parents parents spend the first like mm. sort of four years of their children's life in what we call the Oyama state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's oh, very much where I am. Uh, well, yeah, okay. So, like, you've, you've got how many kids? I've got two. Yeah, uh, and one, one of them is, is one young? Of them is like, uh, yeah, one is like seven <laughs> months old. And um, and he was just he was just ready to party at about, at about midnight. There's a really weird thing with, like, babies that age where, like, the, it'll be the middle of the night and they'll be making noises in their cot and you'll go over and see them and they're just fucking thrilled to be awake. And there's nothing wrong with them. You can't soothe them. You know what I mean? Like you can't fix this problem. They're just, uh -huh. they're just, they're just thrilled that they're alive. Um, and so you just have to kind of white knuckle it and wait for the sort of general human ennui to set in for them. And then they want to go back to sleep and be unconscious again. So that was my note. familiar with that because you've done it before or was that like, tell me about the difference between 
you know, your experience <laughs> of having one child versus your experience of having a second child? It's um, it 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 it's not what's it called? It's not linear. It it it's more than twice as hard. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> it's like it's, uh, but also, but also, but also, when you we, we, there's a, between our boys, there's a gap of about four years, and that's not that long. So I should be able to remember stuff from mm. when Moses was was the age that Arlo is now, and I just don't remember shit. And I think it's because like if you did like you if your brain allowed you to remember that time, you would just never have another child. So it's sort of trying to protect you from it. Um, and so like all the stuff where I'm like, did this happen last time? Did that happen? Was Mo like this? No idea. As far as I'm concerned, Mo arrived at like three years old. Okay. Here's what I am constantly here for. Cause I'm not a parent myself. Well, sure. as far as I Congra- know, congratulations. <laughs> as far as I know, I'm not a parent. And as I always say, I have been, publicly identifiable and been able to track down for long yep. enough that I yep. think the window of any, sure, un, any sure. unex, unexpected surprises is probably passed at this yep. point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, if you're a long lost child of mine and you were looking to cash in, you missed the window. There was you, a good window pre-COVID where you might have, <laughs> well, I wanted to put your hand up. But, but well, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to throw, I don't want to throw shade this early in the podcast, but do you think offspring of yours would be particularly proactive in this way do you think they'd have that sort of pep in their step or do you think they might be a bit lazy i mean i would imagine that in the time period that there could be an illegitimate child floating sure. around right sure they'd be close to adulthood now like they'd be at yeah. a point in their life where i think that they would have at some stage gone what are my hips hurt? Who, who do I blame for that? Why do I have osteoarthritis at such a young age? I need to find out who I can wiggle a finger at in regard no, to this. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I want some of those sweet ABC dollars. Where's my inheritance? So, sorry, you were asking a question about uh, the, um, kids. The, I am interested in, I hear this from parents a lot. I mean, you hear it around childbirth, and I mean, I think it's scientifically it's proved in childbirth that yeah. there are things released in the body that you know, kind of erase your memory a little about how yeah. painful it is so that you will do it again because otherwise yeah. you would never do it again. And what I'm hearing for you is there seems to be some men in black style, yes. you know, part of nature that erases parents' memories because apparently having a child is so horrific that if you remembered anything about it, you would not do it. Yeah, I mean, the, the first little bit of parenthood is just insane. Like, I know that's such, like, an obvious thing to say. It's okay. But, like, it's, those... It's top of mind. I like to talk about things that are top of people's mind. And you're in the middle of this now. You're, you're not... Well, you're both in the middle of it and, as you said, enough away from it that you have the experience of forgetting it but also it all rushing yeah, back now. Yeah, exactly. Um, Alex Lee has a great line about this, uh, about, like, the really early time of having a baby when they're, like... I don't know how many babies you've met, Will, but like I reckon if you've met a baby, they tend to be, unless they're very closely related to you and you're like visiting the hospital, you've probably met a baby after three months. You know what I mean? You probably haven't met too many absolute freshly baked babies. No, it's true. I know exactly what you mean and I can identify because when you do meet a fresh one, <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> their parents, they, 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 they require you to get like, I mean, injections and stuff. Oh yeah, totally. Right? It's, a, it's this whole fucking thing. Like, I remember the fresh ones I've met because I had to go to the doctor and get a shot before I was allowed to meet them. Like normally you wait until they're baked enough that you can just yeah. take them out in public and share them around. And also, interestingly, it's really – I remember before I had kids, 
the first time I met, like my sister's, my sister's freshly baked baby got the shots, went to the hospital and all that. The interesting thing about babies at that age is that you've actually, even in media, you haven't really seen no. a person that young because they use like four month old mm. babies as newborns. They just cover them in goo I in mean, TV. It would you, be a lot for a child to be immediately born and then just go, by the way, you're also, thank God you're here. The ultimate. <laughs> oh, man. Why am I dressed as a flight attendant? Oh, put me back. Um, but anyway, Alex Lee has this line about babies before, yeah. before three months, which is like, I, I remember she, this isn't something she says on stage or anything. This is advice yeah. she gave to a friend of mine. She was like, you're, you're about to have a baby and just know that for the first for the first three months you don't have a baby, you have just like kind of a cursed frog. And, <laughs> and, the, and the deal is that if you keep that cursed frog alive for three months, you get a baby. <laughs> uh, I mean, that should be something that she says on stage. That's what I will say. That's hilarious. I warned you before we started that at some stage I'd have to put my dog on the couch. Okay, this go is, for it. This is that, that was moment. Quick. You're that was allowed quick. To, you, you know what the good, good news is? While what? it happens, you can literally just talk to the audience. You have a oh, moment okay. to reset. I'm not okay. going to be here. You can talk about whatever you want. I'll be back in about 30 seconds. Okay, great. How do you reckon this is all going, dear listener? I don't know, man. That stuff about babies, is it relatable? I mean, it's relatable to parents, and there's a lot of parents out there. But, uh, you know, I have a concern that it might be alienating to people who don't have uh, have kids. So, you know, I might pull back on that. And Oh, he's coming back. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Cool, good chat. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what the fun thing is? I'll never what? listen back to that, so <laughs> I will never know what just happened. <laughs> um but yeah, so yeah. like it, it's 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 weird uh, the the early times because they are giving you absolutely nothing back and they barely like they barely seem or behave in any kind of recognizably human way. And then around four months, their little eyes kind of focus and they smile and you're like, okay, well, and it's around about the time you're ready to just like leg it. You know what I mean? It's like nature's timing is very spot on there. Um, and then you're like, oh, great. I recognize you as a, as a person. This is, by the way, I should say, this is not the case with all parents. I've, I've said this to people before yeah. who are absolutely fucking what are you horrified. About? <laughs> I'm like, Cursed frog? What are you? <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to people who I'm like, you know how it's just shit? Yeah. You know how babies are just shit for three months? And they're like, I love my little child. Yeah, never like, had yeah. a bad day. Every day's been a gift. I've never met that person, by the way. All I've met, genuinely 100% of the surveys I've taken from parent, parents is that they love their kids despite the fact that they're fucked and it's yeah. fucked to raise them and it's really hard and it yeah. puts pressure on you forever <laughs> it's good despite that is normally what i hear I, yeah. I, i'm never hearing 100 percent everything's great reports yeah i mean you might yeah i you might know not know as many liars as i do <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's where I've been. I uh, I was uh, I don't know how I don't know how time sensitive this podcast is, but um, I I watched the Matildas last night, um, which was a nice thing to do because that felt sort of partway not just parenty, uh, and that was good. So uh, I'm interested. So yes, that, that it does timestamp it, but I don't care. Okay. It doesn't matter. Like Pe I mean, people will know that we recorded this at some point in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're already aware of that, and often I like a you know, a timestamp, right? Yep, yep. Because a timestamp actually 
you know, because sometimes you'll say something that I noticed this week, so this time stamps it as well. Uh, there's two M's that have been dominating the Australian media this week, and they are the Matildas and Mushrooms. Yes, and, very much so. And, you know, it is very much time stamped by, like, th- there was a the TV show The Chase, which is just like a, you know, a TV quiz show on Australia. Yeah. yeah, which is an international format, so people probably are familiar with that show. And yeah. They just had a quip. One of the chasers had a quip about their partner trying to poison them during a meal, or they got sick after their partner. Po- and it became like a scandal just because this episode they recorded three months ago or yeah, whatever. Exactly. And in the week when this scandal was going on, you're right. Like, so at least if you're time stamped of going, we yeah. know what day this yeah. is. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're like, oh, isn't Sam Kerr great? And you're like, oh, you know, you know. She got cancelled the next day. Yeah, you know she like, tried to. She just tried yeah. to poison those people with right. mushrooms. Yeah, that's right. right. She poisoned the rest of the team with mushrooms. Don't you remember that? <laughs> no. So I'm interested in, as you said, like that idea of like you know connection with the rest of society. The Matildas. So I, I, I'm when you're a parent, and particularly when you're in your own world de- dealing with that sort of stuff, but you're also somebody we'll get to, of course, who's worked in the media and works in the media and collaborates with other people. Yeah, I'm just yeah. interested in your perspective from that point of view on the Matildas. Yeah, rather than circling back to it, I want to just talk about it sure, while we're here sure, talking sure. about it. That idea of – so Gruen, the final episode of Gruen was on last night. How like did that against, rate, Will? Well, actually, weirdly <laughs> enough – I've just seen the overnight at this point, yeah. and there was like two hundred thousand people watching, which is actually, wow. yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> two hundred thousand un-Australian people, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. a lot more than we expected. That we, I mean, yeah. like it'll be one of those things people watch on iView, and but but I I want to talk about the idea of the Matildas themselves and that connection point. Were you a person who was interested in? like women's football at all before this or were you one of the people, the many millions of Australians who were swept up in, you know. Yeah, like I I am somebody who, and like I feel like that question was such a trap, Will, by the way. Um, I am one of those people who actually have always wanted to be into like any sporting code. I come from a really sporting family. My, my brother, my father, my sister, all mad for just all sorts of sports. And for whatever reason... Uh, and I mean this sincerely, like I, I just, I, I can't, there's, there's something about, there's something about the way that I'm built that means that I, I, I can't learn a language and I can't enjoy sport. I don't know what it is. Okay. And, and I'm not, and I'm saying that with shame. You know mm. what I mean? Like I, there are people out there who are proud of this. I hear people always going on about like, well, sport just doesn't grab me. I'd much rather be reading a novel. Um, and I just think you poor sad shit because like you don't understand that you're missing out on something great. And I do. And I'm missing out on it because like so many of my mates are into this. So many of my mates are like, you know, every, every weekend they've got something to look forward to, something to get heartbroken over, something to really care about. Um, so when a big sporting thing like this happens, it's like one of the only times when I can find myself getting really swept up on it and get like a little insight into that world and into that feeling. Okay, that's interesting to me, like, because there are some people who can't do something or don't understand something, therefore their immediate thing is to say that that thing is wrong. Yeah, that thing is wrong. Yeah, you can just say, I don't get this, but I can see that other people get this and there is something in my life. Because, like, 
the way I feel about cricket is the way that some other people feel about Lord of the Rings. They're both just <laughs> invented things that have a weird mythology. Sure. And if you sure. understand the weird mythology and history yeah. and like, you know, moves you can make or, or Dungeons and Dragons, right? Sure. Like there's a rule to it. Yeah. There's a universe. And if you understand the rules and the universe and the quirks and the whatever, yeah. then that's what it makes it magical to you. But yeah. And, and also like for both cricket and Lord of the Rings, the sort of deeply yeah. racist backstory in yeah. both. <laughs> Um, I think I, I actually think there's a third kind yeah. of, of 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 reaction to mm. not understanding something, and I think that this is actually far more common and far more like I don't know endemic maybe, which is I don't understand this thing. I've never had an interest in it, or I've never it's never really come across my um, table. But hey, give me ten minutes, and I reckon I can bone up on it enough mm-hmm. to explain it to you. Because if I've never heard of it and I didn't understand it prior to this, it must be pretty simple. I feel like so much of journalism and light ant and media in general is people who hadn't heard of something a week ago explaining it to somebody who hadn't heard of it 10 minutes ago. And where is the, where is the value for anyone in that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there's a value obviously for people who can – interpret a big idea into a palatable idea for the sake of informing people. Like but I think that there's a role. Is a, that is a rare skill. You know what I mean? that's a role in society. I think that in a general sense, in a more broad discussion, we become very guilty of judging people for not knowing something that we just learned ourselves. So Absolutely. Not, so it's not just the explanation of that thing to somebody else, but it's the <laughs> judgment inherent of you're an idiot because you don't understand this thing that I only learned two weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, and also like, to, to make it even more moral, mm. like to return to the Matildas, I've seen so many people online like posting like these beautiful, great pictures of like these incredible crowds that we've been talking about and being like, tell me again how nobody cares about women's sport. And it's like, you didn't care about women's sport two weeks ago. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to own that, that this is like a moment. I mean, some, some people did. Some people who are posting that have been like, you know, fans for years. But I know for a fact that a lot of the people who are getting on their high horse about it, they're, they're just as ignorant as the people that they're kind of chastising. I, you know, I, I do think, though, that there is some truth in the fact that we are constantly told that things will be terrible when often – the reality is if they're given an opportunity, they will be absolutely fine or even great. And the two examples that we can point to like of this, like with recency bias around the Matildas, but the Matildas and the FIFA Women's World Cup and the support of that is clear indication of if you give them a chance and opportunity, if you build it, they will come, right? Yep, yep. But the other one's the marriage equality debate yeah. there was so much fucking fuss and like the mm-hmm. the sky's gonna fall down and this is gonna happen and yep. it's all gonna and we knew that wasn't true we knew that like it like things would probably just you know go along pretty much as normal but just better for the people who've been previously discriminated against and that has a hundred percent been the case like that is literally we now have evidence that all that bullshit was indeed bullshit right yeah. so we're in the middle of a campaign now in Australia around the you know, the recognition, the voice in the Constitution of Australia, the Indigenous recognition, and you're, you're hearing all the same arguments they heard with Mabo when the whole yeah. – you know, they're like Mabo was going to mean that everyone was yeah. going to lose their house and we were going to blah, 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 and, you know, all these same arguments we're hearing around the recognition in the Constitution now. We're hearing 
repeat it again, like we do with marriage equality, like we hear with women's sport. And the truth of it always is that it's that it is not true. That yeah. like this will if if Australia votes yes, it will be fine. Like the, yeah. nothing nothing bad's going to happen. It's only going to create an opportunity for disenfranchised people to become franchised again. I do wonder why I I don't know. Like I'm a, I'm a little bit younger than you. But it feels to me like in my generation, like I'm, I'm 36. Yeah, I'm it, in my late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of feels to me like my, and you know, listening to you talk about that and listening to you just kind of pick two examples sort of quite easily of a, of a moment that seemed doomed, or well, not necessarily doomed, but seemed like it would just kind of, seemed like the status quo would hold and the status quo budged in quite a significant way it made me realize that I do have an outlook that I kind of need to keep in check when I think about the big picture, which is that, you know, the, the status quo is such a stubborn, unmovable thing. And, um, and you know, no, nobody has the, nobody has the guts or the wherewithal to change it. Um, because it's actually not something I believe in my bones, but it's something that I find myself expressing quite a lot. And I wonder if that's just a product of like, the formative years that I grew up and like, you know, the politics that I was exposed to, or if it's just like the idea of more recently living through Trump and Brexit and all this sort of stuff, which has sort of made, I don't know, is, is, is it nihilism? Maybe I'm not sure, but like, it's interesting because like when you, when you bring up those examples um, and you know, like neither of them, neither of them are going to eradicate poverty overnight and neither of them are going to sort of unrig an unfair system, but there are wins, there are gains, um, and it's quite easy to lose sight of that, I think. I agree with you that it is easy to lose sight of that because also it's inbuilt into the status quo that they want you to think that you can't change the status quo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like th that is part of the whole point of it is like the best way for them to stop you from challenging them is to make it seem like it is impossible to challenge And inevitable them. and yeah, right? exactly. And yeah, the status quo isn't even the same status quo. That's the problem. The system is kind of what we talk about because, like, when I was growing up, you know, I mean, the oil and energy companies, all those sort of companies, obviously were very big companies. But, you know, this tech boom hadn't – it mm. didn't exist, right? So, like, yes, it's a different cast of Game of Thrones. Like, it's, you know, <laughs> similar power structures and yeah, all these sort yeah, of things. Yeah. But completely different villains, you know. Yeah. You know, completely different infrastructure in a way. So it is both true and untrue at exactly the same time. And I don't know how you rationalize that. So do you have like, I mean, this, po this podcast, we start with the idea, well, start, I say 30 minutes in, we start with the <laughs> idea of like, it is essentially a podcast about life philosophy. You know, do you have a particular life philosophy or worldview is another way of looking at that. Sure. And it can be, in regard to anything, life, love, parenting, all of the above, any of the above, more than one of the above, and it is also an appropriate answer to say, no, I don't, and then well, we'll explore that. I don't know if anybody else on your show has tried for this cop-out, but I think I have <laughs> I have a philosophy that, I don't know, maybe since I've had kids or maybe a little earlier than that, as I got into my 30s and, and sort of got a little bit more comfortable with things, Maybe comfortable is the wrong word. As I, I don't know. As I, as I stopped sort of running quite so fast, I um, I have, I have a philosophy that I, I really try and 
practice, but I, I, I fail at it all the time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, it, it sounds kind of sappy, but it's basically that like, you've just got to be kind. It's, you know, Kurt Vonnegut expresses it really well. And I think Cat's Cradle. Oh, I can't remember which, what, what book it is, but it's like, he's talking to all the babies of the world as they're born. Um, it's kind of like, instead of saying, thank God you're here. Um, he's, he, he's like, he's like, welcome, welcome to earth babies. It's hot. And I'm going to butcher this quote. So I'm so sorry. Anybody listening who knows the quote, I'm like, welcome, welcome babies. It's hot in the summer and cold in the winter. And if I know one thing, it's that you've got to be kind. God damn it. Um, and I, I think that like, do you want me to not, tell you what the whole quote is? Hello babies. Yeah. Welcome to earth. It's hot in the summer and cold in the winter. It's round and wet and crowded on the outside, babies. You've got a hundred years here. Uh, there's only one rule that I know of, babies. God damn it, you've got to be kind. See, that's so much better than what I said. I mean, well, um, yeah, but I can't get one again for the podcast, so <laughs> I'm happy with you. Don't get me wrong. I just think, you know, it, it, it sounds so simple, and I read that quote years and years and years ago, and for some reason it just started rattling around in my head when I got into my 30s. It's like... It really is the only, like one of the only true things that I know, which is like the capacity to make whatever time we have here um, with each other better or at least bearable is, is kindness. And by kindness, like there's a selflessness to it. There's a, there's a, there's a kind of strangeness to it. I'll give you an example that like, I don't know, this will sound like I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but I was actually thinking about this on the way in um, to the studio and like. I'm sure you won't remember this, but now this would have been almost fuck 20 years ago. Jesus. Um, I did raw comedy, um, when I was 18. Uh, so like 18 years ago, um, and I made it to the, to the grand final at the Melbourne town hall. Oh yeah. Um, and you were hosting and it was mm-hmm. the first time I'd met you and the first time I'd sort of met anybody from the TV, I think. Um, and I just really, really, really remember um, sitting in the green room and it was a crazy year of people. It was like Tom Ballard and Celia Pacola and Hannah Gadsby, all these people yeah, who right. like, who were unknown wow. and you, you were hosting it and I was sat there and I had no idea that what these people were going to do, obviously, but we were all kind of nervous in that green room chatter that everybody's sort of trying a little bit too hard. And you just kind of like came in and introduced yourself and sat there and like, you just took the time to talk to each of us before we went up on stage and before, you know, we we're all so nervous. We all thought this was going to be like do or die and this was going to launch our careers. I remember even as like a really self-absorbed 18 year old, just thinking like he didn't need to do that. Like there was nothing in it for him to do that. And like that moment, which like, I don't think that, that, that cost you a lot. Maybe, maybe you hated every second of it, but like that kindness that you should, that you showed for no reason other than it's just something that people are kind of wired to do sometimes. Um, the ripples from that that, that, that that little moment can have on the people around you. I, yeah, it's like when I get said, if there's one rule, I think it's got to be that, right? Yeah. So 
I mean, it's always nice when somebody tells you something from your past that's a good story rather than something <laughs> shit, you know. <laughs> Every time someone starts a story with, yeah, I, I remember you when I met you 18 years ago, <laughs> like my, my chest starts to tighten. I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? Oh, sorry, uh, and then you hit me with a car. Yeah, but, yeah um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you were kind about it. And that yeah, was, you were lovely. You were so nice. Yeah. You waited with me. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. I was like, took you on a real emotional <laughs> roller coaster. Yeah, I, I learned a lot that day yeah. about life and about Will Anderson. <laughs> I, it was interesting to me because, like, I, if, if we go back then, I'm still honestly. So, what I, I'm 30, if, they, if it's that long ago, I'm kind of around 30, you know. So, yeah, wow. I'm still working it out myself. I'm trying to, you know, late 20s, like early 30s, trying to work out. I hosted a whole bunch of those raw finals in the early days and, you know, sometimes I would be hosting people who were older than me, you know. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I'm kind of meant to be the experience. Like you're a young person but some of those other people aren't actually – they're only a couple of years younger than I am. Yeah, you know? I mean Hannah must be around the same age. Right? Yeah, so you would often be in that situation of there's a part of you inside that – you're like, I don't have anything to be able to share with people. <laughs> like, I don't have any knowledge. But I always have been of the opinion that if you do have anything that you think you could do to help, then you should try to do that. Like, I, and don't try to overdo it. Don't try to, you know, I would, the one thing that I remember I would always say to people back then was because I think a lot of people would go in with that idea of this will make or break you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like my, my message would always be actually, if you're going to have a career in comedy, you know, it's the next 50 gigs or a hundred gigs or 150 yeah. gigs that are going to be the ones that make or break you. It's not today. Yeah. Today's great because there's like a thousand people out there who want you to do well. Like you're not yeah, going to perform yeah, to a yeah, thousand yeah. people for the next yeah. two years in total. Like this is, that's what I remember. That was all I wanted to get across to people was enjoy today because yeah. it's not always going to be as fun yeah. as today and, is. And it, uh, let, let me tell you, it was not. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, but it's funny that tension that you mentioned, cause yeah. I, I really have that. And I, it, it, when you were like, do you have a life philosophy? That was actually my mm. first thought. I was like, well, who the fuck am I to be telling anybody like what I think? And like, I have this now that I have like a little bit of a career and like, I find myself in a position sometimes where I'm like mentoring people. It's always the first thing I think before I like give any advice. I'm always like, I always want to give a thousand caveats, which is like, oh, but you know, I'm just all figuring out myself and who the fuck am I and blah, 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 blah. And then I think about the advice I've gotten from people over my life who didn't give me that caveat and who were at a similar station that I'm at now and think, well, I didn't think that about them. I weren't, I wasn't like, well, who does this person think they are? Especially if I've like sought out the advice. So like, I don't know, sometimes, you know, you, you don't want to be somebody who's like giving unsolicited advice and you don't want to be someone who's patronizing and, and making somebody feel small. But at the same time, if you like feel like you have something that might be helpful for someone to hear, especially if it's positive, um, then, like, you shouldn't let your own insecurities kind of hold you back, I guess. I think that is hard, though. I think what yeah. you've identified there is a really hard thing and it's something I struggle with all the time. And, in fact, there's been times where I probably haven't, you know, in the past, where I wasn't offering enough to people who were asking for it, like, because I didn't feel like 
I had anything particularly good to pass on or that, you yeah. know, why, why as someone who's still struggling every day with how I do it and why I do yeah. it and, you know, often change the reasons for that or the perspective on that or any oh, of those. totally. Yeah, constantly challenging it. How can I then pass that on to, like, if I say to you five years ago something, I mean, I'm sure if you listen to this podcast over the period of time this podcast has happened, particularly with the pandemic <laughs> and how that changed our perspective on everything, yeah. there would be so many contrary but that was the whole point of starting this show you've got to the heart of it which was i like the conversation i think the conversation's mm. important and when i'm giving advice or mentoring now i used to i'll give you a practical example so in the old like you know tv days in between rehearsals on a show day I would tend to, you know, you pop to your dressing room like a bit more selfishly, go over the script or yeah, think about some yeah. jokes you might make. Then you would go out onto the floor again for another rehearsal. Your team's there, your writers, your producers. A lot of these are the younger people who, you know, this is – so I'd be concentrating on making the show. Over the last few years, I realised – and, you know, not just through my own realisation, through other people helping me get to this realisation that – even though I didn't think that I had anything particularly, you know, amazing to share, that all these like younger people were just sitting in yeah. there going, you know, trying to soak up everything that they could soak up. Yeah. And so I just started talking about my experiences or asking them about like what they had thought about something or, you know, yeah. what they were picking up that was different, just staying around a bit longer in those pauses to just mm – -hmm be part of that conversation. Yeah, not to sit there and go, this is a lecture about how to make television, but to yeah. have a discussion about what I think and what they think and yeah. like engage in that conversation. And I think there is a point you get to where you have a responsibility to – that's that, you know, like you somebody put the ladder down for you and you've got to like put the ladder down for somebody else. And that sometimes that isn't like opening a door to get someone a job or it could be as simple as – having that conversation that as I always say to people when I give them advice, I say, I don't care if you absolutely, um, you know, disregard the advice. Some of the best advice I've ever got is that I'll get a friend to come and see my show and I'll say, what did you think the, you know, the problem, if I'm like, I don't know, there's, there's a problem with the show, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I can't quite work out what it is. Come along, mm. tell me what you think the problem is. And yeah. then they'll come out at the end and they'll tell me what they think the problem is and They'll be wrong, but it'll make me absolutely realize what the problem is, you know? Right? Like, so, so that's sometimes it's just enough to start the conversation to say, here's what my experience is, or here's what I think. And then sometimes that can be the thing that, like, well, it's also like, it's yeah. also like if you, if you, what you're describing, like, if you, if you're sitting down with these younger people on your show and you're actually asking them, like, what do you think about this? That's a huge moment because I, I think. I think all anybody really wants deep down in this industry and maybe just in life is for somebody to take them seriously, right? And like, especially in TV, I don't know if you can remember, I can, I can definitely remember the first time that anybody ever took me seriously in TV. And the way that that usually manifests isn't like getting a promotion or like being told that you're going to be running this now or whatever. It usually manifests when somebody turns to you and says, hey, what do you think about this? And all of a sudden your eyes go wide and you go in this moment, somebody is taking me seriously. That is huge. And like the more you can do that with people, 
rather than sort of sitting down and going, well, let me tell you what I've learned in my years. Like actually saying you have something to offer and I want to hear what it is. Because there's almost like a selfishness to that, right? Like a good, a good, honest selfishness. If like, because I remember like the first time it happened with me, I was working on first TV show I'd worked on. It was with the Chaser guys, um, Hamster Wheel. And we were like mid-season and Chaz and Andrew were arguing about a joke. And Chaz turned to me and said, well, what do you think? And in that moment, I could kind of believe it, right? Because there was something in it for Chaz to get an opinion one way or the other. It wasn't like there was a, there was a sort of very slight selfishness, which made it real. Um, and so I think that like when we talk about discomfort with, you know, hoping we're not being patronizing or, or, or laying stuff on too thick or, or even worse, giving bad advice or bad unsolicited advice, the best thing that anyone can do for, for, for anyone in any industry is turn to them and take them seriously. I, th- I think that is, that is huge. And like that person will remember that too. I know, but that is also like, if you think about that too much, because I know what it's like, right? Like I was a young person who like, you know, ha- had conversations with people that, I mean, I famously, I mean, famously, famously within my <laughs> own world told this story a lot of times, but uh, I went and saw the comedian Will Durst, who's an American satirist at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. In my Before I was doing my solo show, my first, the, the year before I volunteered um, putting up posters and stuff for the festival sure, sure. and got free tickets to shows. And uh, I went to see Will Durst do a show called The Durst Amendment, I think it was the name <laughs> of the show. And I loved it. It was so funny. And at the end, I went up to him and like, you know, just had a chat to him, told him I'd started doing comedy and, you know, whatever. And asked if he had any advice and he said always put your name in the title of the show make it a pun it's you know it's memorable Uh, the irony of course his name was will i I didn't even think about that as i embarked on 25 years of will-based puns but sure i ran into him in edinburgh in uh 1999 and i was doing uh, my show willennium over there and i you know, said, hey, you know, you inspired me and you told me this and I'm doing my show, you know, Willennium here and blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, he goes, oh, mate, I was just trying to get rid of you so I could go to the bar. <laughs> and, uh, of course, like, right, because he's an experienced <laughs> older comedian who's yeah. just got some young – but to me, sure. like, literally it was such a big moment that I've sp- spent quarter of a century coming up with tortured will puns just <laughs> – <laughs> thing right like it's it's completely unbalanced and it's it's kind of good that it's unbalanced it's like the 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 moments that people have had where they've been kind where they didn't need to be or they've been interested where they didn't need to be where i think well that's actually like i I can actually see this is the moment that my life kind of pivots a little bit they don't fucking remember and if they do they're like Mm -hmm. oh again i just wanted to get rid of you like the the imbalance there is almost and it's true the other way too like i remember years ago somebody said to me this was like maybe like 10, 15 years ago. Somebody said to me, I just want to let you know that you once said something to me that was so mean that I still remember it. And, <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I have no recollection of that. That's a horrible thing to say. But that is like a core memory for you. Like that is like inside out sort of like, and that is like, when they said that to me, I was obviously like, I'm mortified and I'm so sorry, but like on a philosophical level, I was like, that is insane that you can do that to somebody and not remember it. You know oh, what I mean? I mean, I have to, I've, I have had that exact same example. I know this because the other person was a comedian and brought it up like years later in such a like, like way. And it was literally that they'd run into me at Triple J and said hello to me. 
And I'd said, oh, could you please just call me Mr. Anderson and not look me directly in the eye, which to me is clearly like could not be a bigger joke, right? Yeah. Like, so hang on. Was this person like, oh, he's serious or I'm shitty that he's making a joke at this? No, no, no. Took me seriously. Oh like didn't God. get the joke. And then that's what I mean. Like so sometimes you can be like, I in my mind, <laughs> it cannot be clearer. I don't have to say I'm joking because yeah. this is clearly – like <laughs> so ridiculous that it must be it, but this person had not interpreted it that way and yeah. honestly thought that was what I was saying that to them and I carried incredible. that with them. So Of course, there's a combination of both things that we're talking about here where somebody comes mm. up to you like, you know, 20 <laughs> years later and says, you know, you told me to believe in myself yeah. and you're like, F- I was so obviously yeah. joking. Sorry you about suck. that, man. I should, yeah, that's right. I know. Well, they say that in America, one of the things that they – like one of the things that I learned when I was in America was a hey, term. Excuse me, Will. Yeah. So sorry, producer Mike here. Sorry, Ben. Yes. I just wanted to give you a heads up that I've just been informed there's going to be a fire drill <laughs> oh, in okay. the building um, in about 10, uh, 15 minutes. Yes. Okay. So, so what does that mean? So what it means is you don't have to move. You can stay where you are. Oh, when you okay. hear the drill, it's a drill. So just stay where you are. Yep. But because this, this studio is a, a temporary space, you're going to hear the alarm. Okay. How so long that's does gonna it go come for? Through. Uh, I think it might be about five minutes. Okay. Well, so we'll, just, we'll just probably, chill. Yeah, we can just have a little. Yeah, have a break. Break. Um, <laughs> can, can I can I leave and have a vape or will that yeah. slow things down? No, you can uh, do that, surely. If right? you or leave no. outside the building, yeah. uh, you might not be able to, you won't be able okay. to get back in. Then I yeah, shan't right. do that. So stay do here. That, yeah. um, the other thing is uh, when the alarm stops, please keep going. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fire warden though. Oh, so, you, <laughs> so, so, so I don't know. I don't know how long I'll be out for. Um, yeah. Christ, Mike. Okay. I didn't realize this was a forum for outrageous I, boasting. Okay. This is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't I'll know that about Mike either, but I would I'll trust him. Just hang tight and All right, um, cool. some added stakes. Very sorry to disrupt the flow. <laughs> That's funny. No worries. Catch you later. See you, mate. Good luck with your wardening. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, all right, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, advice. So yes, this idea of what you pass on and what you don't pass on. I, I, this is what I I like where we're coming at this from because it feels like a broader issue than just like advice within the – like we've been talking about it as specifically yeah, yeah, advice yeah, yeah. within our industry. But it feels like on a broader sense – the way that we're dealing with opening up to younger people and what they think of mm-hmm. the world and like different perspectives or different like it feels like how we have that conversation yeah where yeah. people can pass on what they thought was good about the way that the world was or you know the core values of that versus like i mean i think there's something very natural in each generation rebelling against the one that came before. And I think sometimes the point of view has got to be like I've I've had mates who like occasionally got like a bit mad that they've become – that younger comedians were using them as a punchline. Do you know what I mean? Sure, 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 sure. And I was like, but but that's what we would have done. Yeah. Like we would have been like making fun of whatever – Old and tired. Yeah, you, you know, either die like, the hero or live long enough to see yourself become ugly, ugly Dave Gray. Like right. it's, <laughs> yeah, like, like it's, you've got to understand that you can be both parts of that equation. Yeah, 
And in a way, it's how you handle being the punchline that defines you more than like oh, totally. the other, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. I also think that the, the flip side of that, which is like people who are younger completely understandably being like, I, I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want to hear what you figured out. Coming at a time when like you probably incorrectly, but at least at the time it feels right. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I've actually cracked it. Like, I've figured out this shit that if I'd known in my 20s, I wouldn't have been so miserable in my 20s. Yeah. And it's like, it's like this terrible confluence of like... <laughs> but I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's like really natural, right? To like, A, want to impart something... You know, like it, Moses, my son, who's like four and a half, is now at the age where like I can, I can kind of like he, he's kind of amenable to advice, um, and like I'm understanding how natural that is to to to, to want to pass that on, but I'm also I understanding. Mean, I do, like <laughs> I, I would suggest though, just as a general like you know entry point for parents, passing on a little advice to your children about how to be i don't know a human being is i don't know i kind of like maybe not spelled out at the hospital but it generally implied as part of the overall brief part of the of deal. raising a child you don't need to feel bad about that yeah. like oh man i hope i wasn't too patronizing yeah. to my toddler just yeah. now are you talking about like, parenting is yeah. that what you're talking about <laughs> you know i was telling him that you know sometimes he should eat yeah. his vegetables but i was yeah. like who the fuck am i to be yeah. telling a kid this you know what sometimes i don't <laughs> eat my vegetables so <laughs> but like you do have like oh i don't know like there's this is this constant give and take with yeah. everybody right of like we all feel so well maybe not everybody but we all feel so terribly terribly lost and terribly terribly confused but also we have like an absolute anathema to being told what to do and how to be and all the rest of it and i think those two things uh, butting up against each other is like at least one of the big tensions between like older people and younger people, right? Like, oh, oh absolutely. But also, is that not something inherent in this like you know, desire to have a child? Like, is part of like okay, I've worked out where it all went wrong for me, but oh, I reckon totally. if we just get like a fresh start between the two of us, we can we can get this one right. Well, absolutely. <laughs> And the, and the, the most terrifying thing is when I work something out where I'm like, ah, yeah. I'll say to my mother, I'll be like, you know, Mo's going through this thing at the moment. Because like a four and a half year old is like kind of, I, I didn't realize how like much of a kind of fully formed, not fully formed, but like pers person. I have high hopes for Moses. I think he's yeah, going to get only so. better after four and a half. But I just mean like in terms of like emotional intelligence yeah. and talking about stuff like, you know, he couldn't sleep the other night and he was describing what was going on in his head. And I was like, oh, like to myself, I was like, oh shit, that's obsessive thinking. Like, I don't want to pathologize a four and a half year old, but like, oh, you have like a very rich inner life and you're, you're currently trying to work out how to navigate this brain that you can barely control. Um, anyway, like Mo will have some emotional problem and I'll like say to my mother about it. I'll be like, you know, Mo's going through this at the moment. And I think, I think what I'm going to tell him is this. And I think that's going to be really good. And in my mind, I'm going, because if you'd fucking told me that when I was four and yeah. a half, <laughs> like <laughs> things would have been very different yeah, lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then she turns around and yeah. she's like, in the yeah. sweetest possible way, she's like, that's great. I do remember telling you that. And you're like, well, fuck. Like, <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not going to tell him. It's yeah, the opposite. Exactly. I'm going to do the opposite to that. Whatever you did was wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, do you think about, I mean, like, of course, you just swept up in the, the parenting of it all, right? But is there time to, I don't understand how these things work necessarily. I know, like, incidentally from talking to my friends or hearing my friends talk about this thing, but I often think that my friends who have kids, it's almost like they censor themselves when they talk to me because they think that mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about it. Whereas I'm, in, <laughs> I'm insanely curious at it. Like, you know, it's like... Like, you know, for me, it's like I'm really interested in the whole process of like how you fill up a child's like brain and like world and how much you think about that, you know, like because clearly there are people who like make choices like we're not going to let our kid eat this sort of food until a certain age or we're not going to let our kid be exposed to this sort of music or language or what, you know, like or we are going to expose them to this sort of music or language. Like, you know, the the, all the various variations of like what you're going to, you know, put into this human. How much of that, like, I don't know, do you think about, like do you have like a real sort of like, clear like this is my broad philosophy i'm gonna or is it like a real just in the moment thing yeah it's interesting like you have like you think you have like broad tenets that you want to impart on your kids and for some reason you think that they're unique like for some reason you're like well we're parents that don't want our kid to like hit other kids and that's really important to us it's like yeah man like nobody's (laughs) like i'm so excited my kids just beating the shit out of other kids at at preschool mission accomplished you know what i mean like all that stuff is like pretty universal you want your kid to be like happy you want them to feel safe you want them to feel like loved and all this sort of stuff and then as you say it's the stuff that you don't think about and the 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 it's, it's both scary and also kind of liberating in a way because, like, it's the stuff that you don't consciously do that goes in. As you, you kind of describe kids as, like, a vessel that you're filling up. And, like, it's not when you sit them down and be, like, Atticus Finch with them and tell them, like, life lessons and stuff. It's actually just kind of, like, how you are to them and to the people around you. I'll give you an example. Like, I um, – like, like a lot of people, like, I – never really want to yell at my kids unless they're like in danger. Right. Like I I don't want to be that guy. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want my kid to have a dad that yells at them and all this sort of stuff. So like, I I try not to yell, but when Moses is like driving me insane, this is the other thing. I love Moses more than I thought it was possible to love anyone or anything. Um, But he, maybe because of this, he can make me angrier than like literally people I despise. I don't understand it. Like I, I don't understand. There, there is no one on earth who can make me angrier than Moses can. Um, and so like, you know, trying not even to raise my voice with him when I'm like, when the red mist is descending, one, one thing I've started doing is just like really going into my shell when he's like being really, really frustrating and, and not doing what he's told or like, you know, whatever. So like this kind of tone where he's like, okay, so can we do this? And I'll go, you know what, man, I don't care. I don't care, buddy. You do what you want. Right? Like that's not, that's not top notch parenting, but that's like, in fact, in fact, do you know what? That might even be worse than yelling because, because Will, the other day, Mo was really shitty at me for something. And I was like, (laughs) and I was like, all right, buddy, you want to go to the park? And he literally like, you got to imagine this coming out of a little four and a half year old's head. He goes, I don't know, man. I don't care. He <laughs> like, was like, you do what you want. You do what you want. Another, another thing about like, it's never the stuff. 
I feel like he's already bested you. Yeah, I, feel like, really I feel like you're, you've literally gone down a rung in the family hierarchical oh, structure already. This is like, this sounds, this is probably the, the worst parenting I've ever done. And I think this like really highlights your point about like what's intentional and what's not. Because I, I set out to have a very intentional chat with my son. A, a, a friend of mine's kid who was a little bit older than him, was going through something. And my friend was telling me about it. And I was just like, it's just like the worst nightmare. Like a kid just like shuts down and won't talk to you and there's something wrong and like all this sort of stuff. And like stuff that I, I at the time, Mo was like three and a half, had never had to deal with. But like I was filled with white hot terror about that. And I remember I was putting him to bed. And the context for this is uh, children don't like to go to sleep. Um, I don't know why. Um, I don't know why we have, as a species have like survived with that trait in most children, but like children will, and, and, and older children, three and a half year olds will sort of conspire to not sleep. Anyway, that's the context. I was putting Mo to bed. I'd read him some books and I like took his little hands in mine and I said, Hey buddy, before you go to bed, I just, I just want to say that whenever you feel bad or whenever there's something on your mind doesn't matter what it is. I really, really want you to know that you can tell me anything. You can tell mommy anything. You can tell me anything. I just want you to know that if ever you feel bad, I want to know about it. Right? And he went, okay, daddy, I feel bad. And I went, no, you don't. Good night. (laughs) 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 Same. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'll leave you with this. No, you don't. Goodbye. No, you um, don't. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and look, in my defense, he definitely fucking didn't. Okay, yeah, no, like, you I've called th- him I've, out. You're I've a thought liar. about that moment for yeah. a long time. No, nah, you've got to teach the lesson that you also can't make up when you. But you've got like, I mean, that's the caveat, right? Yeah. You, <laughs> there is a boy who cried wolf component to absolutely. Yeah, you can tell absolutely. us. But we're not going to necessarily believe you. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which is the, a nuance which is difficult to yeah. get across. But yes, yeah, so to, to, to sort of roundabout way mm. of answering your question, um, I have found with, with at least two children, sorry, at least I have two children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> we describe us as having at least two children. <laughs> yeah, there's a noise in the attic that we can't quite place, but we're pretty sure it's a possum. Um, is that like, it is so much not about, um, like you need to be on the same page with your partner and you need to like care about the same stuff. But like generally, man, like, Everybody cares about the same stuff outwardly. It's just how you like behave and how you like pass that on because like every fucking thing goes in. And you don't know. That's the thing. It's like, so this is the ultimate example of, um, you know, the, the, the comedian at the vending machine. Yes, you, you yeah, don't know like, what's, you yeah. don't know what the thing that yeah. is like. Is it the moment where you are saying to your child, you can tell me anything or the moment where when they tell you that they're bad, you immediately (laughs) say, no, you're not and tell them to go to sleep. You don't know which bit of that is sticky. Or, yeah. the fa- or both of that is sticky. And they go through their life expecting that every bit of good advice will be <laughs> followed by their or feelings just, or, being diminished. Or honestly, just some yeah. random thing that's neither of those things, no, you know? No, neither. Like, I don't know. Oh, um, th- can you hear that? That's coming through. Oh, that's the alarm. 
Yeah. Do you want to just talk through it or do you want to take a little... I absolutely can't hear it at my end, which means that I think that... Okay, great. Yeah, let's keep going. And I mean, um, hey, and look, you know, it's probably one of his responsibilities as a fire warden to, to go, be, around, yeah. go back and edit the fire noises, the alarm noises out. Yeah. But also, like, you don't know with kids, like, what... Oh, hang on. Now it's getting to the whoops. Uh, for those who don't know, because we might leave this in, because for context, again, I like to... For you know, people go. Ben seemed a bit distracted. It was almost like there was a fire alarm going off in the background, and everybody else was evacuating the building. And the fire warden, who is also the producer of this podcast, had to give up his producing details to deal with the fire drill. So this is like a this is like a nineteen nineties British sitcom level of farce. I feel. It is, isn't it? And um, I've invited two, pod, two podcast guests. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm trying to do two podcasts at the same time. Yeah, but rushing like, back and forth. I'm just going to go and put my dog on the couch. <laughs> Rushes off. Anyway, where was I? Do you, know what, do you know what I found about uh, children talking to my friends who have children who are in the industry? Yes. Um, children do not give a shit about what you do. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do not. No. Like I remember before I had kids – um, you know, I have, I have a podcast with Michael Hing that like has kind of cataloged, catalog, you know, you were saying thing about philosophy where it's like, it's so interesting to go back and listen dif- when you kind of had a different outlook or different people or, contradic- or contradictions or whatever. Like this, I have a podcast where it's like me talking shit from like my twenties to my thirties. And that is like terrifying for me to imagine a child would find and like my, my, my kid would, would listen to. Um, but now that I have a child and uh, at, at least two children, it is never going to be a problem because they don't no. give a shit shit about what you do like Mo only just now understands that I'm a writer and that's not like through anything other than just complete disinterest like he he grasped the concept of writers Mm. long ago but it's only now that he like decided to put two and two together and be like oh is that what you do and I'd be like yeah buddy and I work in the same building or at the time this was true I work in the same building that they make play school doesn't give a shit does not give a shit and it's kind of liberating, right? It's kind of freeing because, like, the person who you love more than anybody in the world, like, is like, yeah, but that's your job. I don't care. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's natural. Right. Like, that's a good thing, right? It's a great thing. And I, and I do think that it is, like, we, we think that anyone really cares. I, like, the greatest example is, like, when I, I remember when I first started out doing stand-up. Like, I remember my first year at the Comedy Festival – Friends, family, like groups yeah. of people all came to see me. None of yeah. them have ever been back. Like, why sure. would they? <laughs> you know? They're my friends. They don't, yeah. I don't go to see them at their job. They but don't need it- to come and see me at my job. <laughs> but isn't that like the – it's just that, that idea that like you aren't what you make and you aren't what you do is like something that I have struggled with basically my entire career. And like okay. – if I'm if I'm ever if I'm ever in a position where I feel like I'm on an even keel and I am happy and I am sane, it is usually because I have managed to keep that front and center for at least a period of time. You okay. know what I mean? Like, well, to talk to me. Well, talk to me more about when it's not in balance. Like, what does that look like? I think it's more like you know because I think all anybody wants to know, right? And the, again, I think creative people talk about stuff as if it's completely unique to being creative. I don't think this is true of, I think this is true of creative thing, but I think it's also true of anybody where like you're constantly going, am I any good? Is this any good? Is this worthwhile? Is what I'm doing, is my output interesting, engaging, remarkable, whatever. 
and like different people have different levels of obsession with that idea. I think some people are, you know, like me, I'm, I'm happy to wear that. Like, I think I think about it an unhealthy amount and because it's subjective and because you can never know this, it's like this torturous riddle that you will never solve, right? Like you just think, oh, well, if this thing got, you know, a really, really good review, then I'd just know. No, you wouldn't. You absolutely wouldn't. What you'd do is you'd read the review and go, well, that's nice, but that's just one person. They probably don't know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Oh, if this person who I really admire um, told me that they really liked my work, then yes, I'd just be fine and I'd have an answer to this. It happens. Well, no, that's just one person. They're probably just being nice. You know what I mean? Like it is completely unanswerable and it is a torturous way to live. When I am in that mode, all uh. I can do is, 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 is try and put stuff out into the world and just get any feedback I can. And that feedback sort of tries to, you know, you, with that feedback, you sort of, you sort of try and cobble together an identity of yourself. But what you're doing there, I've found is you're pegging your own sense of self, your own sense of worth to an incredibly volatile currency. You're basically saying, I will decide whether or not I'm a huge worthless piece of shit based on the price of Bitcoin. You know yes. what I mean? Like, like I if, mean, if, not if only are there fire alarms going off where you are, there are like emotional alarms going <laughs> off all over the place with me hearing you describe this because I recognize it. it like huge... You know, like, you know, part of probably like, yes, like you said, n not just every like creative person, but like just a lot of people's, you know, personality is like asking all those questions. None of us know the answers to life and like we're all full of questions and it depends on like how you relate to those things. And I get all that. But like, yes, like at least you recognize how stupid it is. Right. Yeah. Because. And like it doesn't mean that you can necessarily like diminish it or like, you know, but I, I went off like this is like basis of my entire personality, Ben, and it's now I'm pretty proud that it's taken over an hour for me to bring it up on this podcast. <laughs> so I've been off I've been off social media for a year. Oh, and wow. uh, it's partly to do like, the reason I don't I don't just wedge it in for the sake of it. I wedge it in because no, it it's, is it's, talking to what you're talking about, which is this idea of how much does the noise affect your opinion of what it is that you do. And the only rational response, I think, if you are someone who's affected by the noise, because what I've recognized is I can't get comfortable with that, you know, if I do see that bad, like, you know, even if it's something that I don't agree with or whatever it might be, it just sticks in my mind and it annoys me and it becomes part of that sort of thing. But if I don't hear about it, I'm fine. And then I can yeah. judge my things based on whether I think they're good, like they go in the directions that they're yep. meant to go in for me, like I make better choices about the actual product itself, not the reaction to the product, like all these sort Absolutely. of things. The only way to do that is because you're never going to make anything that everybody loves. It just doesn't work like that. And even if everybody loves it for a minute, guess what? 20 years later, they might look back on that thing and go, that is like offensive because it was of its yeah. time or, or whatever it might be. So like you said, if you pin your hopes to it, just to complete that thought about the yeah. what you said about the volatile Bitcoin, if that's where your hopes are, you, it's just, I'm sorry, it's you can't win that. The only way you can win it is to like check out from that being the way that you measure it. And you've got to find, and, and this is like, if I've, if I've had a life project for the past, mm. like I reckon five years, like just before kids came along was trying to find 
a, a solid foundation to understand myself and what I do and, and what's important to me that has nothing to do with anybody else. Um, and it, you know, to, to return back to the social media thing, like, of course that's huge. And like, as someone who like used to be fairly active on Twitter, um, and now like hasn't, hasn't, hasn't what, what all the kids are calling Andersoning, which is completely quit. Um, <laughs> as someone who's like completely stepped back from it, um, because I started to recognize what I was doing, like, uh, Again, that, 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 okay, well, uh, am I worthwhile? Let's consult this room full of like fucking insane people. Right. Like, because also the negative, as you say, anything negative, no matter how insane, no matter how badly phrased, no matter how like unfair sticks in your brain, like a dart, like you wouldn't, it is so hard to dislodge. But the flip side of that is also, it's, it's, it's like mania. Like the praise is also insane. Like nobody's ever like, I think like I've written things that I think are pretty great. Like I've written there are things that I've written that I'm really, really proud of. The stuff that people have said about them in the sober light of day when I read that, I'm like, well, that's actually fucking insane. Like, it's not, it's not because everybody's, everybody's, it, everything's either the best or the worst, the best or the worst. And you, you yo-yo between these two positions. So even when you're on top, even when you're like, you know, quote unquote winning, <laughs> um, you, yeah. you have such an elevated um, idea of what you've just done that the only way is down. So- and yeah, also, I, like, none of that is true. Like, it's all just a game now. It's a commodification of extreme opinion. That's the whole thing is set up for everybody. I was saying this to somebody the other day is the biggest revelation to me is how few firm opinions I have about things. Yes. Right? Like, yes. <laughs> social media and just like the internet in general demands that every time you hire a car, eat a meal, take a Uber, like, whatever let alone once you go on social media have a firm opinion about how that thing went and i just don't need to do that anymore like i just am not in the infrastructure that is demanding opinions of me all the time so then i have time for my actual opinions for something that i'm really interested in to actually just like develop and me to think oh, you know the one i've loved is watching things without being informed by other people's opinions of them. Like when you just find a movie or a show yeah. that like doesn't have any discourse around no. it. Yeah. And I just like, I go, I really like that. And then like a month later, I'll find out that like everyone hated it or they thought yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, I didn't know. Like when I was watching it at home, enjoying it by myself, I thought it was great. <laughs> do, do you know what, do you know what is a really bad sign? Like my wife is, is very offline. Mm. Um, and like I say, I've, I've tried to sort of, be less, but I'm, I've still got a real online brain. We'll be watching a show and I'll be like, I bet, I bet the discourse around this show, cause I haven't seen it, but I can still guess it. I bet this scene is what everybody's talking about. And I bet this is why. And she'll be like, I fucking hate living with you. Um, like I, I hate, I hate this, that you can pick this. And sure enough, I'll, I'll usually be right. But also like, the, like you've done all the work then. Cause like this, I have these moments sometimes Right, because it's like I was online for a very long time. I understand still how, you know, particularly that Twitter discourse works, right? Yeah. And I saw an advertisement for Annabelle Crabb was doing her like home cooking, you know, she, her sure, cooking sure, show sure, she sure. does with politicians. Sure. And I know historically there's been a fair amount of online yep. debate, pros and cons, like around yeah, yeah the idea of like you know humanizing politicians sure, sure, and sure, this sure. point, and like. And so I, I saw that her first one back was with like Peter Dutton. Peter Dutton, yeah. And yeah. I saw that advertised and I was just like, I can literally play out in my head 
yep. how the online discourse around that would have gone. Like I just know. And so I know anyway. I don't need to go and see it yeah, be played out. I absolutely understand that people yeah. would have come in way too extreme on every side of it. Everyone would have had an absolutely black and white opinion about a thing that yeah. is absolutely clearly shades of grey and can be argued from different sides. Like It's so funny you say that. Like I don't know if you ever did this when you were online, but like – I used to play a little game with myself where like I'd look at a tweet like the Annabelle Crab one and I'd be like to myself before I clicked on it to see what the replies were. I was like, I'm going to guess like with, with, with phrasing, like what the top reply to this is going to be and see how close I can get to it. And once I started playing this game for no reason other than to amuse myself, that's when I was like, I think I need to step back off this. The point is that even the game you're playing with yourself is the game they're trying to play with you. Like part of it is the gamification of it. The reason that people get like addicted to the internet isn't just that like we're all terrible people. It's because the internet is specifically set up to get us to spend more time on it. And part of that is the gamification of it. Yeah, and the and as you say, like the 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 the, the when everyone's like, oh, everybody's so like polarized on social media. It's like that's that's a feature, yeah. not a bug. This is how this has to work. Otherwise, like the reason why Blue Sky and all the other ones aren't taking off is because they've tried to get rid of that feature. They're they're like, well, let's all not act insane, fellas. And you're like, that actually, wow. in theory, sounds like a great yeah. idea. And then you're like, I haven't opened that app in like. 10 days. Why yeah. is that? Yeah. Because that's not what you're there for. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the algorithms on TikTok and stuff, you see it now, like where they say it rewards engagement and engagement, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether there's negative engagement. In fact, it's often, you know, better to get negative engagement around something because then you can get positive engagement back in the other way as yeah, a response I've... to the negative engagement. And so it's actually just the, like, it's a pantomime. And yeah, this I is like, it's a pantomime that keeps us distracted from, you talk about that idea of challenging the status quo. This yeah. is like, this is how the status <laughs> quo doesn't get challenged because instead we just get this like pantomime of the online culture wars instead of actually like attacking the real institutions. Do you know, I read this great quote and I'm, um, it's another one I'm going to butcher, but I don't think it's one you can look up. It was in this book by Jenny O'Dell called How to Do Nothing. And she's quoting this Italian I think philosopher, like modern philosopher. And he's talking about the idea of reverse censorship, which is that if you flood the airwaves, if you flood news streams, if everybody is talking all the fucking time about everything that is happening, then actual discussions about what's happening and what's important get drowned out. And it is just as effective as complete censorship where no one's allowed to talk. And it's really hard to navigate that because like on the one hand, it sounds like it's saying everybody shut the fuck up. But on the other hand, like there is a truth to that, right? When everybody's like, why is nobody talking about X, Y, and Z? It's like ev people are talking about yeah. that, but because we're talking about everything else at once at the same pitch, everything's getting drowned out. And, and everything needs to be, so it's not the saying you shouldn't have an opinion. It's saying, Hey, guess what? You, you don't need to have an opinion about everything. No. And you don't. Like when yeah. you have a like strong opinion, it will, it'll actually be worth more because you don't have an opinion on everything or you don't have the same opinion on everything. I talked to, I'm sure you'll be fine with me saying this. I think I've even said it before on the podcast. I talked to Husey about, you know, when he went a little, you know, trending on Twitter during sure, the sure, pandemic. Sure, sure, sure. And I just said to him, I said, why 
because I know him to be much more reasonable than he would have appeared from his sure, tweets. Sure, 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 you know, sure. <laughs> during yeah, that time, even yeah. his opinion on like COVID is much more nuanced than like yeah. w- what people framed it as. You know, during that, and I was like, but why did you keep? going on like after the first time that it went wrong like why did you keep doing it he goes well like he was just so trained to that idea that people you needed to have you know constantly be injecting your opinion into things and you don't like here's what i'll tell you about me being on social media and i guess this is part of the you have to reckon with your own ego right because no one's missed me there's not been a moment (laughs) where anyone's gone yeah well you know sure you know Correlation-wise, there has been an immediate decline between when I left and Twitter falling completely apart. But yeah. I mean, and who's have, to say? Who's to yeah, say? Look, it, it <laughs> might be Elon Musk being in charge. It might be that I left at the same time. I'm not – like, who knows? Yeah. Like, it could be either. But I think that you've got to reckon with your own ego as well sometimes in this, which is that you've got to think – how many of my opinions are worth sharing and like why am I sharing and for what purpose? And it goes back to that thing about the negative comment because it's not just that we have a negative bias in our heads but it is that the truth that we don't want to admit to ourselves is the reason we saw the negative comment was because we were hoping to see a positive comment. Absolutely. Yeah. Negative comments in the real world, no one just comes up to you in negative <laughs> comments to you, right? But if you went yeah. up to people and said, do you reckon I'm great? Maybe occasionally you'd have some people who said, yeah. no, nah, you're not. You're terrible, right? And the reason that the ne- we invited it in, that's the worst thing about it. We did it to ourselves and that's the bit that we can't admit. But you can tell why we did it to ourselves, right? Like that thing that we, we started talking about ages ago, which is like everybody gets around going – what am I doing? Am I doing this right? Is this any good? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden something comes along where it's like, well, I've got a room full of people here that you can just ask. And it doesn't cost anything other than like a, a big old part of your brain yeah. forever. Like, why wouldn't you? And of course there's heaps of reasons why you wouldn't. Yeah. But if you're getting around with that in your head going, well, I kind of feel like what I'm doing here is good, but I, 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 just, need, I just need confirmation over and over and over and over and over again. Of course you're going to do it. Of course you're going to, as you say, let that in. In the, in the times in my life where I've been not only like the most kind of emotionally happy, but also the most creatively fulfilled have been the times when I've been able to separate what I do from who I am. Um, because I think that like, I think that, that that desire to be like, is this any good? Is this any good? Is this any good? We're not actually asking, is this piece of writing or is this bit of work any good? We're asking, am I any good? And the second you can kind of defuse those two things and you can be like, well, I'm a person who makes stuff and then there's the stuff that I make, that question becomes a lot less pressing, right? It becomes your, your, your doubts about the quality of your work aren't all of a sudden existential. They're just, well, hang on, does this moment work? Does this paragraph work? Does this sentence work? Those are small potatoes. That, that you can deal with, right? Like that's a very simple question. The moment you hitch your wagon to your own work and then in turn hitch that wagon to what strangers think of you, that's when everything along that chain becomes completely unmanageable. I'm st- I've started to write a novel. It's, I, I, um, I, I, just got a, I just got a deal to do that and like it's something that I've wanted to do for a really long time and last week I found out that a publisher is going to take it. It's really – I've been thinking about this – exactly what we've been talking about, about like, cause, cause writing something that long is incredibly lonely and it's incredibly, you know, you're racked with all this doubt this entire time. So how do you navigate that? And yeah, the, 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 um, the conclusion I've come to is 
it's all about that defusing and focusing on the doubts that are important. Like I do think doubt in your work is, is really important. I think, I think it, it shows that you care about what you're doing, right? Like if you're looking at a joke that you've written or you're looking at a, a moment or a scene or whatever that you've written and you have that creeping doubt where you're like, can this be better? Can this be sharper? Can this, like, that's good, right? Like I read stuff sometimes from people and I'm like, you need more doubt in your life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this is clearly like a first pass. There is an amount of, of, of let's call it micro doubt that is really, really good. And will will drive you to, to to write better stuff and to make better stuff. No, no. I mean, like to yes, to do great work. Like sometimes you do get a draft from someone where you're like, your parents loved you too much. Exactly. But when that when that doubt zooms out and becomes, I don't know, macro doubt, where all of a sudden you're applying this the same critical lens to like, well, am I any good? And is this project any good? And all this sort of stuff. Like that is the, that is if if you can curb that or if I can curb that, I'm really talking to myself here, then that's the only way you're going to make something good and big and like uh, something that you can be proud of working out where to, where to, where to focus that doubt, because there's always going to be doubt and there should be, but it's just, you know, how you harness it, I suppose. Yeah. Well, is it positive for me or is it negative? Like is the doubt, is the doubt, you know, am I using the doubt to like positive effect or is it becoming something that is crippling or, you know, um, you're holding me back in some sort of way? Like it's that, right? And it's like a crutch, right? Like I, I, I really do believe this about myself. I don't, I can't speak for anybody else, but like when I start, I haven't got you here on behalf of other people. (laughs) (laughs) You can assume as a general vibe that that I'm just, that's an enormous relief. Will. I found, you know, uh, in moments in, in the past, like little while, while I've been, while I've been writing this book, for example, like, because like I say, that's a really, that's a really personal, not the story right, isn't personal. I mean, like the, the process of just sitting there without collaborating with anybody and writing it, it's you. I've been really aware of these feelings and like, you know, oh, all of a sudden I feel like I can't do this. Why do I feel that? And blah, blah, blah. What's happening at this time. And nearly every single time that I've started spiraling down a, oh, maybe I can't do this. Maybe the publisher's made a huge mistake here, blah, 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 blah. It has been when I have had a little problem that I can't solve, a little solvable, boring character problem or dialogue problem. And I I think that we tend to spin our doubts and spin our kind of like spiraling, I guess, when we don't want to do something that's just boring and difficult because it's much easier to have an existential crisis about it. You know how, like, can I, I, I give well, me an oh, yeah, give me an, you give me an example. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm, I'm using Mo as an example a lot recently, but like, I think yeah, it's a really human thing to do, right? Like Mo's, go, Mo's going through a phase where, where he really doesn't want to eat his dinner, uh, which is fine. Kids do it all the time. But the way that he's deflecting right now is like asking me really, really, really big questions over dinner so he doesn't have to eat. So like the other night I made some pasta, we were sitting there and I'm like, buddy, you've hardly touched your pasta, eat it. And he was like, I don't want to. I'm like, you, you've really, you've really got to eat at least like three or four mouthfuls. We got into that negotiation and he goes, daddy, what happens when I die? And I was like, I, I don't, I don't know. Nobody knows eat your pasta. Like I think sometimes like when you are faced with something you don't want to do, it is so much easier 
to be like, oh, maybe like this unanswerable question of whether I'm worthwhile or whether what I'm doing is good and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't right, know, buddy, doesn't just matter. Past. Like, like right that, now. That, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right now we have a task to do and it's to get to 100 and like it's to get to 1500 words today. Whatever the answer is. Like, it's not going to affect that today. Right? Yeah, it's not going to help you get one word in front of another. And, like, b- because these questions feel so big and so, like, scary, it can also, like, distract from the fact that it's quite a self-indulgent thing you- that you're doing. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think becoming aware that-, that I've got that thought pattern has actually made it a bit easier to short-circuit that and just focus on the work. Uh, quick, uh, very quick, because I want um, – uh, to talk to you about a bunch of other things and you know I'm aware of like yeah that we are ra- quickly running out of time as always happens on this <laughs> podcast for a long podcast I always feel like I absolutely <laughs> run out of time for what I want to talk about but I want to just offer so when I wrote my book during the pandemic um, I really struggled with the writing process of it because it was the pandemic and there was a bunch of other things going on and there was a lot of stresses and it wasn't ever written in a pattern. It was written in snatches. It was like some of it was a story of the pandemic and some of it was like rants about the times in which we lived. And it was like, it had this real sort of, I didn't know what it was and I wasn't happy and I wasn't like, you know, I just couldn't, it wasn't what I'd agreed to in the first place. I'd sold a book that was actually based on this podcast and then I couldn't write a book of advice about that I got pre-pandemic because I didn't feel like it made any sense in the modern days. So then I wrote this other book that was like about like dealing with the pen. Anyway, struggled with it the entire time. Here's something that I wish I'd known when I was doing it, <laughs> okay. right? So this is the... Yeah. This the is that you figured it out, yep. <laughs> this is in the spirit of us talking about things and hoping maybe there's some nugget of advice yep. or something that you can learn from something that yep. I went through in this. <laughs> I was like, oh, this isn't like a proper book. This isn't like it's written in a really stand-up-y, ranty way. It's not like a overall theme. There isn't a consistency in style. It jumps around in time. There's like a, you know, like I, I all I could think of was all the things that, were wrong about it. I was like, no one wants to hear about the pandemic. Like, you know, like it's like, you know, all these sort of things. Anyway, I eventually just got to that point where I was like, you know, I said to them, I said, if, well, if you're happy with it, cause they were happy, you know, the publishers, yeah, they yeah, were yeah, like, yeah. we're happy. We yeah. want, we want to like print it and sell it to people. That's what we'd like to do with, with it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I think we might even have a piece of paper somewhere lying around that says that's what you yeah. agreed we'd do with yeah. this. <laughs> In fact, you're already not doing what we agreed to do. <laughs> We've been pretty cool about letting you do this absolutely different thing. So we're fine. Yeah, we're, no, we're cool with it. Anyway, I had to sort of let it go and, 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 I was having a conversation with my publisher once the book was out and she said that um, she was at a conference, a book conference, and they were talking about how one of the biggest things that they had noticed is one of the themes of that no one had written about COVID. Mm. Sometimes when you're going through things, Mm. people wait until – like it's time has passed enough that we reflect on it. The idea is that nobody wants to hear about the thing that we've all gone through. And she said, the truth of it is that one thing that can't be changed is there's not a lot of comedic books Mm. about COVID. Like, you know, it was just my story, but like she said, like there will come and there will be, but she said, no, no one was really publishing them. No one was writing something. So you actually ended up doing something 
that is really unique. Like, you know, it's something that, that like, you know, time will come on and people will reflect on it better than I have and people have written shows and all sorts of things about it like I'm but but in that sort of book form like just of the time there wasn't a lot of people who did that and maybe even for really good reasons in a lot of cases but I wish I'd known when I was doing it I was just so full of doubt that I there was a proper mm. way that I was meant to be doing it. I was going to say, like, it sounds like the stuff that you were concerned about, which is which basically, like, all the stuff you've listed is all stuff that, like, you know, I've been grappling with too. And I, I kind of call it like, oh, I'm wearing the wrong kind of shoes at the golf club stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, none of it's really that substantial. But you're like, well, if I was a serious person, I'd understand how to use the pluperfect in a much better way than I'm doing now and blah, 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 that sort of stuff. But it sounds to me like putting your head down and going, well this is stuff, this is, this is how I want to write this. And this is the only way I think I can write it is, is why it's turned out good. Right. Like, because you haven't tried to like, yes, I think partly that, but more what I was actually trying to say is that like, it was of the times, right? Sorry. That's what I mean. And if I knew it was of the times, so this is the bit I'd like to pass on, I guess is like, if I'd known, I was judging myself about, like you said, proper shoes at the golf club. Right. Yeah. Will this book, fit in with the other books right (laughs) when i take it off to book school yeah yeah. is this a proper book right and that's what i felt like about it whereas in retrospect my book is going to be a book like it's going to be an example of books that were written at the time about it and i wish i'd thought about it more like that because if I'd thought about it as an example of something of the time of what I wanted to make of what it was. Now, I think it is that anyway, but if I'd known that going into it, that like I was thinking about it the wrong way. I, was I, say, I shouldn't think- be thinking about like wearing proper shoes at the golf club. Like yeah. they've given you an opportunity to write a book <laughs> and what you write is the book, right? You don't <laughs> yeah. have to write join a book club with your book. Yeah, like, you know, you literally, and so, I guess that's the ad- advice that I'm trying to pass on. Is I that, swear to God, when when this know. book comes out in like you think it's a year and a half, yeah. I'm gonna find you and say, hey, that thing you said about like the book you write is the book is it yeah. really went in, and you're gonna be like, I was being sarcastic, <laughs> you dumb shithead. The book's the book, man. You know. <laughs> no, I think that's really good advice, and yeah. I think that like, uh, yeah, we we so often like. I don't know. And again, it, it comes back to those big unhelpful doubts um, where it's like, oh, but, you know, is what I'm doing, uh, is, is this really a book? Well, of course it's a yeah. book. Someone's asked you to write a book. <laughs> yeah. So, like, right? there's going to be words on a page and it's going to tell a story and, like, no one's going to no one's gonna be reading it going, what the fuck am I holding? Like, the fact that it is a book is going to do a lot of the work, you know what I mean, in terms of, like, what it is. I know, but you <laughs> forget that when you you're do. in the you process totally of writing do. a book. <laughs> you <laughs> Like, this is a trap. So yeah. someone, someone's trapped me and then I'm going to write a book and everyone's going to laugh at me and not in the good way. <laughs> uh, well, we got onto this with Mo. Uh, we know what yeah. you told Mo, but like it's the question that I ask quite regularly on this show, which is what do you think happens when we die? Oh, yeah. I uh, There's like – it's not – all of Judaism that believes this. I think this is like a a sect of Judaism, but the closest I have to like a philosophy about that is like that our souls, because I I do believe in a soul. I don't necessarily believe in a God, but I do believe there's like a a part of us that's, that's, that's inexplicable and, and can't be seen under a microscope. 
that like our souls like that are kind of like shards of a of a of a of a deity of some kind or of a of an energy of some kind kind of rejoin that. I, 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 I'd like to think that mm. I remember, I remember somebody explaining it to me once and thinking that's quite a beautiful concept. Um, but I, I don't know. Eat your pasta. Well, <laughs> do you care? I know. Right. Well, but that's, yeah, I mean, this is the time for us to, um, you know, be able to have these conversations because yeah, yeah. most of the time we have to eat our pasta and get on with life, right? Like we get a little opportunity, <laughs> my little window in the day where we just get to wallow around in this thought experiment that there will never be a resolution to. I just like to hear what people think. I also, like, I get from the eat your pasta analogy and I, I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense to me because – most of the time we don't have the luxury of sitting around and thinking about these things or talking yeah, I mean, about to, these things. I mean, how important is it even to consider those things? To clarify that, I think that like the eat your pasta analogy is more about when you have a specific job to do at that moment and you are trying to avoid doing that job by kind of navel gazing. That's when I use it. I think that there's something to, hugely to be said for just like at all other times thinking in these terms and sort of, letting your mind wander and, 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 and asking yourself what you really believe. Cause that's like, that's, well, I don't know. Like life's pretty empty. If you, if you resign yourself to just doing task after task. I, I mean, but, but isn't also there a fair amount of, I mean, it's, and it's weird, right? Like this, I don't understand any of it. I don't understand any of what being a human being is. This is why I don't think mm-hmm. I could be a parent. I'm just like, <laughs> they'd be like, why is this? And I'd be like, I, I, I hear. Why yeah. is that? Yeah. I don't yeah, understand pretty... any of it. I don't yeah. think this whole setup seems wrong to me. I don't think we're making a lot of mistakes. Like, like, I don't think I should be in charge, but I think I'd be better at being in charge than a yeah. lot of people who are yeah. currently in charge. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want the job. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I can see well, what that, we're doing wrong. It's that Douglas Adams thing, right? Yeah. About like anybody who wants to be president is almost uniquely unsuited to be president. Why like, would you possibly the, want to do that? The fact that you don't want the job is, is, is going a long way to recommending you. <laughs> but um, what? Uh, sorry, I'm sure everybody throws this back mm. at you. But like, do, do you have a do you have a theory or an idea about what happens when you die? Oh, I mean, I am fast. I oh, know I'm just more fascinated by you know, this idea that the contradiction of it all, right? Like, because scientifically, the best guess that we all have, because that's what science is, it's the best guess of the best guesses. Sure. You know, like none of us actually know. Stephen Hawking got some things wrong and like, you know, yep. Einstein got occasionally got something yep. wrong. No, it tends to have nailed most of it, Einstein. Yeah, like, and fair, fair play to him, I yeah, say. Like in <laughs> retrospect, we tend to prove that things he said ages ago are right more often than we do that yep. they were wrong. Yep. But, yep. but in a general sense, like, you know, like the point being that, you know, science is a method. It's not a correct answer to every, you know, sometimes they'll find a more correct answer. At the moment, the correct answer seems to be scientifically that, we, you know, we were nothing before and we'll go back to being nothing afterwards. And, you know, whatever happens in between, you know, there's a whole bunch of theories on how that happens and why that happens. But but do I believe in, like, that being a hu- that there is so much more to being a human and what motivates us and makes us than there is pure biological you know mechanics of but then again that's a very different experience you know country to country like born into a different world into a different life experience into like you know there are people in this world whose lives are essentially miserable from birth to death you know like you know so 
there's an element of that where you just think, well, that there's not much magic or poetry or any of the those you know intangibles. But so I'm I just love the conversation around <laughs> if we are just an accident in the corner of the universe. Firstly, yeah. wow, yeah, and wh- how did it become this? Like, how is this <laughs> part of it? You know what I mean? Like, this is so weird like if we're like the universe is real like we've proved that it's massive and getting bigger it turns out for reasons we can't quite understand and in the tiniest fucking corner of it we happened with all our weird ambitions and Guns and bombs and death <laughs> and progress and computers like, and, it, you know, def- pornography and, like, just <laughs> everything that it is to be a human yeah. being. Why? How? This corner of the universe is the yeah. only place we know of that has pornos, which is which is something to... It has uh, everything. And once you start to think about it like that, it all seems ridiculous. Like everything, yeah. this single thing we have, once you think about the fact that there's a whole universe and there's just us in these perfect conditions, the way we're handling it all just feels <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it does put like, I don't know. I, I, what, I try, are we, I tr- what are we doing? <laughs> I really try not to think about this too much, but like it does put like inaction on climate change yeah. into like a into a crazy that, perspective yeah. when you're like this is, this is the only time this has ever happened yeah. like and this is the only place this has ever mm. happened and there's going to be like 2000 people maybe 3000 people that are going to make a little bit more money and then it's gone yeah <laughs> like <laughs> that's, that's the calculus that we're yeah. currently doing that's what now. we've decided <laughs> yeah. based on being the only intelligent <laughs> life that we can identify in the entire universe yeah. we've thought you know what it's yeah. worth rolling the dice on this if a few more rich people get richer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good luck to them, I say. They've earned it. No, no. <laughs> Do you ever think that, like, that is a that is a problem, like a species-wide problem that, like, we have never had to, as a species or even as, like, a entity, an individual entity, an individual person, like, a- actually come to terms with something that could wipe us all out? Like, we'd, it, we, we've just not evolved to be able to think in those terms? Like, I suppose we've been able to destroy the Earth since what, like, Oppenheimer, essentially. Yeah, like, but, but, but I mean, a- I think that there. I mean, when I was growing up, the threat of like, you know, the nuclear threat, like, it felt like a real thing. But in like terms it, of like the lifespan of all humanity, our ability to destroy everything mm. is like the last like two minutes, right? Yeah. Oh, well, not even. Yeah. Like, I think. Um, I can't no, remember. not even like seconds. Yeah. They talk, they talk about the idea that like basically everything that has happened to humanity, you know, like like. It, it's literally we're on the last page of the book. Like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like all we can remember. And most of the damage has been done in that time. Like you said, since the industrial age, you know, really is when we've yeah. like properly started to destroy the planet on which we live. But yeah, it's – yeah, anyway, these are bigger conversations that we can have because we've got 15 <laughs> minutes left and I've still got Sorry. other questions that I would like to ask you. Yes. we covered advice, which is something I'd like to talk about this on this anyway, so that's fine. We don't need to talk about that anymore other than I always like to ask this question, have you ever got a really terrible piece of advice? Is there like did somebody tell you something that was absolutely certain that you uh, – have later just gone, that was ridiculous and I wish I hadn't believed that or, or, you know. All right, so so yes, but in this person's defence, I think I may have misinterpreted it. Okay, yeah. But but also in my defence, I think this is a piece of advice that is misinterpreted often. Mm -hmm. Don't write for free. Oh, yeah. 
So like this was like years ago, I hadn't really started being paid to write. I was at uni and somebody was talking about this. They were saying, you know, the most important thing is never, ever, ever write for free. And thankfully I only took this literally for like six months, but like I have come to realize now that like the actual advice and maybe what this person was getting at is if somebody is making money off what you are writing and you are not getting some of that money, don't do it. Or at least think yeah, very, correct. very, very hard about why you are doing that. In terms of not writing unless somebody is paying you to write, that is patently insane. Yeah, dumb. Like, it's that really is the, dumb. That is, the, like, that, that is the only way I ever got to a level where I could be paid to write, right? Yeah. Like, the, one and thing I, a, the one thing I would say to writers and performers is don't be the only one not getting paid. That's yes, a better way yes. to put it, right? Because I, if everyone else is getting paid – and it's the yeah. same as a stand-up. If everybody else at the gig and the thing and whatever is getting paid, you shouldn't be the only one who is not getting paid. That shouldn't be the point, right? But sometimes you're going to work for free. And I still work for free. Like there are times where, and again, it's about the value proposition is what you're talking about, where you're saying, is this worth something else to me? Like not just them saying exposure. Like, you know, I work, like a lot of time when I work for free now, it's like I'm like, I'm going to try some material or I'm yeah. going to, you know, do – so it's something that is of value to me, like, to be able to go and do that thing, right? Absolutely. And I think that there's, like, there's I, – I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I might be a little bit weird in this. I, I, I have found in the past decade since I've had the, the jobs that I've had and the, and the, and the work that I've done, like, I, I have found such a joy in writing and so much – um, so much, so just enjoyment and, and, and comfort and, um, again, com entirely selfish and self-centered motivations for doing what I want to do in terms of writing. Cause I'm, I enjoy it. It makes me feel good. If I don't do it for too long, I get, I would say medically sad. So like learning to write before anybody's paying you, before you have deadlines, before you have expectations yes. and learning to love it and learning to have it to be the happy thing that you do um, is invaluable because like I, I, I couldn't have had any of the jobs that I've had if I didn't have some sort of um, desire or, 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 or need occasionally to, to put pen to paper and to, and to make things exist that didn't exist before. Like that is so important. And I don't know of a way to train yourself to want to do that than just to write for the joy of it. And well, for, for fun. For yourself. Yeah. Yes. Write for fun. That's right. Yeah. Le le learn how to make the thing. You the best way to be able to do something is for it to be fun. You know, I've, I've just been ha having this conversation and this is a lesson you need to keep learning. You know, we've just been having this conversation around Gruen and, you know, like what, what we might do differently next season. And again, it came back to that idea of going, you know, the things that we do best are the things that we all find fun. Yeah. Like when we feel like it's homework, it it comes off like it's homework. Whereas Absolutely. if we're having fun, it comes across really well. And so sometimes, yeah, that, that missing ingredient is – you know, is yeah, absolutely what you're saying. Like that idea of fun. So, um, <clears throat> if you could wake up tomorrow, you don't have to yeah. learn how to do this. So okay. it could be your language thing. It could be oh yeah, yeah you yeah. know something else. Um, you don't need to learn how to do it. You can you just, just wake magically up and you can do, it. can do it. Like it can be anything, any skill. What would you like? 
always really wanted to be like, and this, this is something like you've given me basically like a genie wish. Yeah. I can do anything. And what yeah. I'm about to say is like extremely achievable That's probably okay. with like a couple like of that. years. Um, I, I've always wanted to be able to play the piano. Mm. There's just something, there's something about it that just looks mm. so wonderful and calming yeah. and beautiful. I agree with you. And I've always wanted to be able to do it. Mm. So it would and be you that. could. I could, you know. Yeah, I know. I, I definitely. Well, I think about that as well. I think <laughs> I could too. And then I think, you know what? I should buy a piano. Yeah. And then I was yeah. like, you know, maybe just get a keyboard. Yeah. First, see if you and stick may, or with maybe it just before, not yeah. not do it. Um, not only is it something you could do well, yeah. and that I could do, it's something that yeah. people do every day. Yeah. <laughs> and yet we're like talking about it like it's flying. Yeah, I wish I could go something. to Narnia, ride <laughs> <laughs> <Right laughs> Aslan around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be that I reckon. Um, I um, on my on my uh, desk, I used to have a little like I guess the equivalent of a motivational saying. It was a little you know inscription on a piece of uh, um, metal that I had there, and it said, "What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail?" And like for me, it was. You know, just to remind me creatively. Again, it's this thing that we're talking about. I needed to be reminded of it when I was writing the book, really, honestly, was like that I was thinking too much about the idea of whether it would work as opposed to just like thinking about, no, this will be great and this will work and I'm going to write a book about COVID and the times and then just do that rather than – so for me it's about that idea of – you know, grappling with how much like failure intrudes in your thoughts of like, you know, achieving something. But if we took (laughs) failure off the table, so there's no risk of egg on your face, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's a really interesting one because one of the things that I've noticed uh, from getting older is how, how how much larger failure looms or the threat of failure or the fear of failure. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you had this experience, but like, I remember the first time I reckon I was like 16 when I was like, oh, I will never be a gymnast. Now, let me be clear. Like I had never any interest in being a gymnast. I didn't do gymnastics, but for a kid to learn yeah. that you have missed the boat on something, that's huge, right? Like the first time where you're like, oh, that just won't happen. Now, like as you get older, more doors close, right? And like, you're just like, I will never be a professional cricketer. I will probably never be X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? When you're younger, uh, aside from from uh, competitive gymnastics and, and maybe some other sports, the world's kind of your oyster for a long time. And I think that's why you just don't have a fear of failure. I was thinking about this the other day when I was at uni with like Michael Hing and Alex Lee and and, um, and, and that whole set of people, Jen Fricker, we did like a 24-hour comedy show, like kind of like how Mark Watson used to do it at, uh, at Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And I hosted that. And like we did it twice in two years back to back and I hosted a, a thing. These guys came on as guests and we, we, we did it for 24 hours just, and I thought about that the other day and I was like, I would never in a billion years feel like I could do that now. And it's not about being tired and it's not about like, I think I'm better at what I do now than I was then, but the fear, like the fear of failure and how, how bad, how catastrophic a bad 24 hour gig could go would prevent me from ever doing it now. Even though, like I say, I think I'm better at what I do, I'm just like ref- like <laughs> the, the the role that 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 being afraid of 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 failing when you get a little bit older and maybe a little bit more experienced 
can't be overstated. So with that in mind, learn to play the piano. <laughs> the worst thing about that answer is you can't even fail at learning to play the piano. Like, yeah, we got- you mean you didn't even, you didn't even set it up? I'm going to play piano on stage at the Sydney Opera House yeah, or anything like that. You were just like, like that's, and then you've started learning how to play the piano. Yeah, no, nah, I'd love I'd love those two magical safeguards nah. on my on my. <laughs> <laughs> You'll notice that I didn't say I want to be amazing at playing no. the piano either. No. <laughs> got very realistic no, goals. Not even <laughs> literally the like I mean you really did not remove it from something you could practically achieve this afternoon. <laughs> You could literally go buy a piano shop on your way home, pop in, get them yeah. to like teach you yeah. like bar bar Tick. black sheep or yep. something. But uh, at the nah. very least, no, nah, I'd like, I'd on like that imagine. journey. But I've wasted <laughs> two wishes on it. <laughs> uh, what can we plug of yours, Ben Jenkins? It's it's been nice to have you on. I was like. I did actually. It's funny. We didn't really talk much about your life. We'll have to talk another time about like because we've talked so much about with Alex and with Jen and like yeah, there's been this real sort of um, <laughs> actually we've quite heard quite a lot about your life from other people <laughs> and the things you did early in your university comedy career. It's actually in like the so nice listening to this show when when someone like that's on and 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 hearing those stories come up because it, it it's it's really. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about it some other time because it it was such a it was such a um such a lovely time at 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 uni with those people. Something that I've realised that I've like sort of spent most of my career in one way or the other trying to recapture in some way. Um, so to plug, uh, I have I have two podcasts: um, Freddie Will Good Home with Michael Hing, which is currently on a slight hiatus, um, but there's a huge back catalogue you can dive into. Me and Michael Hing. Uh, go through classifieds uh, on Gumtree and stuff. I think you did a very early episode with us, in fact, um, when we were like 23. Uh, so you can probably find that. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to be p- picking that up in a week after after Hing uh, is is available after his uh, wedding, which is very exciting. Um, and then I also do Dragon Friends with, with some people we've already spoken about today. Uh, Dave Harmon, Alex Lee, Michael Hing, uh, Simon Griner, Tom Cardi. Um, and that's a really fun, um, live D and D comedy show where we sort of tell a story on stage. Um, uh, you don't need to know anything about D and D. We certainly don't. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess, uh, look in bookshops in a year and a half for a book, uh, by me and, okay. and we'll get, we'll go ahead and get you on, we'll get you on to plug your book when your book comes out. That's fine. We don't need to do the book plug this far out. I mean, pre-sales are good though, but publishers yeah. do love a pre-sale. So like if you can, as soon as you find out about it, get online, yeah. drive the demand. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, final question, mate. Thank you very much for doing the podcast today. I do super appreciate it. It's been oh, a very a fun chat. It's always good when we, like, I mean, honestly, people complain all the time, but I assume about like how long this podcast is. They may not. Like, this is the great <laughs> thing about living in the world that I live in now is I just, it's not like I don't hear any complaints. I just now make up complaints in my own mind. Yeah, like, you're, doing I, 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 yeah. you're doing the work. You're doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I assume some people haven't made it this far because I hear from people at podcasting companies and stuff that everybody likes short podcasts and yeah, regular sure, sure, podcasts sure, sure, sure. and they don't listen sure. after this point. I'm like, well, can't people – like listening more than one go. Like I don't know. Sometimes when I'm listening to a po- long podcast, I'll yeah just stop in the middle and then just listen yeah, to some more the, of it later. The, the, the podcast <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't ex- like explode like, or whatever. Like Mission it's not Impossible. Mission impossible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't listen all in a row, it'll just yeah. sit there. You can listen to it whenever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can re-listen at some stage if you'd like to. There's all sorts of things you could do. You can also go to tofop.com where all the tofop podcasts are. Patreon.com/slash TOFOP uh, and sign up there if you want to support this podcast on Patreon or any of the TOFOP podcasts. They're all on the same Patreon site and you get access to all the behind the scenes, all the uh, free episodes and everything else that is over there at TOFOP.com. So please go and uh, check that out. That'd be cool. Uh, And final question, Ben Jenkins, thank you Mm -hmm. very much for doing the podcast. I have a time machine. I can take you to anywhere, into the future, into the past, to your own life, ignore your own life. I don't. I don't mind. <laughs> Needs to be a round trip. That's that's it. That's about it. Uh, I wherever it is, I, it's somewhere where I want to get a bit of sleep. So let's say eighteen years mm. in the future, my boys have hopefully moved out, and I'll just spend a week there sleeping. Yeah, optimistic that they've <laughs> moved out. I think that's the bit of that that I feel like. I mean, do you think that they would? Like, I mean, it's a long time in the future. But my parents, I've said this before. My parents definitely had a parenting philosophy. They it was told to me out loud, which was yeah. that we will love you enough that you don't want to leave home before you finish school. And not so much that you don't want to leave home after you finish that's school. That's very was. good. Right, I'm t- I'm, that's what I'm taking home with me, I think. <laughs> so, 18, yes, 18 years in the future, but you just like to see what you bought, like what, what's yeah. going on, right? I do, I do realize the incredible parent selfishness yes. of like, you've given me an opportunity to stop 9 11. No. And I'm like, oh, I just like a week's sleep. Mate, honestly, <laughs> let's be honest about this. What would you have done to stay? I know, I'm, I'm absolutely like, even if we send you back, you are completely <laughs> with. If we have the technology yeah. and we've ended up sending you back yeah. to stop 9-11, yeah, then something else has gone wrong. Several, several people are about mate. to pull out at the last yeah. minute. <laughs> no one blames 9-11 on the fact that you did not travel back in time to prevent it. I think you're fine. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Well, that's a relief to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Listener.